Our New Testament reading is Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise, and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Children, you may go to your respective classes. Let's return to the scripture that we read with Carissa just a few moments ago from Luke chapter 7. If you are visiting with us this morning, we, since the Advent season in December, uh, of this last December 2016, we have been in a study in the gospel according to Luke. We've been going through it line by line, episode by episode. It's a journey. Come, come, join us in this, in this study. If uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, and I would say I would remind uh, our members. I hope you're reading during the week. I hope you're taking advantage of this. And that you've already read Luke through several times. It would be just a, a great habit uh, to get into for the next few months. Just to read Luke through uh, each week. Each week just start reading with the first. I promise you it will bless you. You're going to see things that you hadn't seen before. Even after you've read it for the 25th time. Uh, and uh, it will bless you on Sunday morning. You'll be more familiar with the passages uh, with which we deal. As we open God's word, uh, let's come and pray uh, that Christ who was there that day uh, that raised this young man from the dead, he's here this morning, that same Christ, the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray that he would speak to us. Our Father, we bow before you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bow before you as your priests. This is the one time during the week, Father, that we have an opportunity for all of us to pray together as priests. During the week, we pray individually, but this morning, as every Lord's Day, 
we come together to pray as a corporate body of priests. We pray specifically this morning, Father, for Doris Beasley, asking that this tumor would be shrunk. We pray for Priscilla Turner and for Laura Behrman. Father, they're critical, critical times, not easy times, and we pray that they would know your presence and that you would indwell them in a powerful way with the truth of your word, the truth of your promises through the Holy Spirit. Our Father, we pray for Mike Ackerson's mother this morning, that you would be with her and be with Father, the one who so wonderfully cares for her. Our Father, now as we come to your word, we pray that you would teach us this morning. John Sartell cannot teach us so that it will make any difference in our lives. We did not come here this morning to hear him. We came here to hear you. We've heard your voice in this place. Bring your word to us and speak powerfully to our hearts. And we pray that again this morning, we would hear your voice in our hearts. Our Father, we would be remiss if we didn't pray for our high school students leaving tomorrow for Panama City to the RYM conference. We pray that you would take them safely there without injury, harm. We pray that the time there would be full of rich blessings as they hear your word taught, as they enjoy the fellowship with other high school students, with leaders. Bless them in this time and bring them back safely. We pray this now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. How powerful and real is the Jesus that you know? Each gospel writer tells the story of Jesus in his own unique way. They have different styles. They're, they come to the gospel with different emphases. Luke was telling the story the way he wanted to communicate it to his friend Theophilus. That is the man to whom he addressed the book of Luke. Luke was telling the story in the way that only he could tell it. At this specific point in the story, he's relating in chapter 7, the first part of chapter 7, the incredible authority and power 
that Jesus demonstrated. The first two stories in Luke 7, and you really need to know this at the beginning. The first two stories in Luke chapter 7. Luke meant for those stories to be linked together. There's a reason they come back to back. We looked at the first story last week. The servant of a popular centurion. He lived in Capernaum, was obviously wealthy, powerful. He had built the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue there in Capernaum. He was loved by the people. It was a very different situation than what you would expect. The servant to whom he was closest, a servant that he loved, that had served him probably all of his life, was dying. He was right at the point of death, and Jesus healed him. The miracle was unique in two ways. The man was at death's door. He was dying that day. And Jesus healed him from a distance. Remember, the man said, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. You know, I say to my lieutenant, I say to my sergeants, go and do this. And it's done. Just speak. And Jesus said, I haven't met such faith in all of Israel. In those two ways, this, this is unique to any other miracle that has been done to this point. He's right at death's door. And Jesus healed him from a distance. The second story we read this morning, or we read this morning, the two stories are linked together just by those two words, soon afterward. Look on your scripture sheet. Soon afterward. He's linking it to what has happened previously. Now, there was some space of time between the events, some in some of your translations, the word day is used, like the next day. The word day, the Greek word for day, is not used in this passage. It's a phrase that means what it says soon afterward. There was some space of time between the two events, but Luke wanted to leave out what happened in between time. He wanted to go from this event to that event, even though they were separated by time. They're linked together. Theophilus, as he read the story of Jesus healing the centurion servant, a man given up for dead, as he read that Jesus just spoke a word from a mile, two miles, three miles away, and the man was healed, he had to be impressed. The doctors had given up. There was no hope for this man. He had to be impressed. No miracle recorded thus far had demonstrated that kind of power and authority. But then Luke skipped through time to the story of Jesus healing, healing, raising someone from the dead. When he wrote soon after, he was saying to Theophilus, Theophilus, you think what you've just heard about the centurion servant was something? Just read what he did a little later. That's what he's doing in our 
everyday language. Luke wanted to communicate how powerful and real Jesus was. He not only healed someone at death's door, he healed someone who had already died. He raised somebody from the dead. That's how they're related. As you look at this passage, I want you to see first a Christ who seeks the unseeking. Look at Luke 7, 11, and 12. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. Jesus went. He was not simply walking by Nain. He went to Nain. Now, Nain was a very small town. You just did not go to Nain. We have towns like that in Tennessee. The other day I was driving, about two weeks ago, I was driving through Arkansas. And I came to an intersection. And there were a few houses. And I mean a few houses. Very few. And there was a sign that announced this was a certain town. And it had the population 181. I always laugh at those. Not 180, but 181. And I actually looked. I stopped and I looked. That's it. Well, where are the other 150 people? You know, it looked like there might be 31 there. Such was Nain. It was that kind of name. It was six miles from Nazareth. It was 20 miles from Capernaum. And you just didn't go from Capernaum to Nain unless you had relatives there. I mean, it, it, it was just nowhere. We don't read about the little hamlet again in all the New Testament. Why would Jesus go there? Why? He had an appointment. He chose to go there. He went to Nain. If you think he just, if you read this and and you think, well, that widow was sure blessed that Jesus just happened to be walking by. <laughs> you don't understand what was happening. You really don't understand scripture. Jesus never stumbles into anyone. No one ever stumbles into Jesus. He had not stumbled. We've seen this before. He did not stumble into Peter and John and Andrew or Matthew. What did he say to them? Look at your scripture sheet at John 15, 16. He's talking specifically to his disciples and he says, You did not choose me. I chose you. I came and found you. Just so he did not stumble into this widow. In the episode for this, Remember, the centurion had heard about Jesus and he went to the city, the religious leaders in the city and said, would you go to Jesus for me? It, it seems as if he's seeking. But if you read the rest of scripture, we find that even when we think we're the seekers, the hunters, we're the ones being sought. No person here 
No person here, whether you were raised in a Christian home, whether you were converted later in life as an adult, no person here stumbled into Jesus. No person here found Jesus. Howard Hendricks was an internationally known evangelical Bible teacher. He taught many of the Christian leaders that you know today. He died in 2013 at the age of 88. Just simply a great teacher. If you see a book by Howard Hendricks, buy it. He tells a story about his father. All of his life, his, his, his father was a non-Christian, very tough military man. And he tells a story about how his father was converted. And I just want to read you these words. As, as, as I looked at this passage and saw this you know, Christ seeking out this widow, this is just a, a really a great story that demonstrates it. God brought a man into my, this is Howard Hendricks speaking, God brought a man into my life, a man with a passion for men. His name was Butch Hardman. One day, before we knew each other, Butch was boarding a plane in Detroit. A friend handed him a cassette tape. Have you ever heard of Howard Hendricks? No. Well, here's a tape you should listen to. On that tape, I related my father's spiritual need. Butch listened, and something about the story reminded him of his own father, whom he had shared Christ with shortly before he died. He began to pray for this unknown man, my father, George Hendricks. Some months later, Butch, a minister, attended a pastor's conference in Philadelphia where I was speaking. Afterward, he introduced himself and shook my hand. That was the only time our paths crossed before a remarkable incident in Arlington. Butch was driving the church bus down the street, having discharged all his passengers. He saw a man standing on the corner, and he said, that man looks like an older version of Howard Hendricks. He stopped the bus, walked back up the street, and asked this solitary individual, do you happen to be Howard Hendricks' father? The older Hendricks looked at him like, where do you come from? He said, I am. He said, are you, a, a, do you attend classes under my son? He said, no, but he sure has helped me. Do you have time for a cup of coffee? The encounter began a friendship skillfully engineered by the Spirit of God. Butch undoubtedly sensed dad's hesitancy when he discovered that he had met a preacher. For a long time, Butch did not invite him to attend his church. He simply suggested that dad drop by the office for coffee. Patiently, he endured my dad's cigars and endless repertoire of war stories. Before long, he had learned that dad had been diagnosed as having terminal throat cancer. Much later, or months later, Butch was at his bedside. Mr. Hendricks, I'll be leaving shortly for a trip to Israel. Instead of my listening to you tonight, would you let me tell you a story? Butch had earned his hearing, and he began to simply relate the interview that Jesus had with Nicodemus that is recorded in the third chapter of John. 
At the conclusion, they had prayed and bowed the knee to Jesus Christ as his Savior. End quote. Do you understand? I love that story. Not, not just because of the ending. But in the great providence of God, God wove together the, the life of Butch's friend who had a tape of Howard Hendricks. And as Butch got on a plane, he said, you know Howard Hendricks? No, I don't. Here, take this tape and listen to it. That's where it all started. He listened to the tape, heard about his father, and began to pray for him. Who did that? God did that. The Holy Spirit did that. And then he he actually meets and sees Howard Hendricks so he knows what he looks like. And driving down a street, I'm sorry, just driving down a church bus street, he's driving a bus, all the passengers, he sees a lone individual just standing there. That looks like Howard Hendricks. If you, you don't have cold chills, you don't understand. Who here would raise your hand and say, I found Jesus. I was smart enough. I was bright enough. I had the eyes to see. I had the ears to hear. And I found Jesus. If you say that, you do not know scripture. Look at Isaiah 65, 1 on your scripture sheet. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. This was the widow. She had not sought Jesus out. She was not looking for Jesus. She was not expecting him. So many people know a Jesus that is only as real and present as they let him be. For some people, Jesus is a thought that gets pulled out when we're in trouble. He's like a handkerchief. We just pull it out when we need him. That we use him. Jesus Sometime after the centurion's servant, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, come on, guys, we're going to Nain today. Jesus, there's only a, why are we going to Nain? Who goes to Nain? I do, and I go today. I have an appointment there, a lady. She's bearing her son, and I must see her. See a Christ who seeks the unseeking. See a Christ who comforts the inconsolable. Look at verse 12. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. His heart went out to her. That's the Savior we had. He felt compassion for her. There's a movie titled Cider House Rules several years ago, several decades ago now. It's a hard movie, 
Michael Caine plays the role of a doctor who oversees a children's home located in the mountains of Maine in the 1940s. The rigorous rules governing adoption that are in effect today did not exist then. A couple seeking to adopt would merely show up at an orphanage and after a few appropriate interviews could just choose a child. The children would know that they were being the children would know then that they were being appraised and considered for adoption, and they all wanted to be adopted. They all wanted to be chosen. If there could only be one chosen with each couple. There was one little boy in that orphanage who was sickly, really sick. And he would never be chosen. No couple would ever choose him. But nonetheless, he always got dressed and he would have come and announced to the couple, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. But he was sick. As I saw that, I had to wipe away the tears. After all these years, I've never forgotten those scenes. Because I knew that was real. I knew the little guy would never be adopted. What was I feeling? The same thing you feel as I tell you about it. Compassion. I wanted to be there so I could adopt him. That's what Jesus felt when he saw this widow. He had already buried her husband and now she was burying her son. You know how you you feel compassion? Imagine the compassion that Jesus feels. Sinless. He's God. He has compassion. He has an ability of compassion that we cannot even imagine. I'm always amused by people who, when things go badly in their lives, think that, well, I would have more compassion than Jesus. Jesus told her in his compassion, don't cry. We want to say, yeah, right. Don't cry. Jesus, there are some sorrows that cannot be comforted like a child who's never chosen when couples come to choose. Like when a mother in the cemetery is burying her child just after burying her husband. You just don't say, don't cry. Jesus did and Jesus does. That's exactly what he said. We would say there are some hurts in this world that cannot be comforted. Some hurts cannot be consoled. In this episode, Jesus proved that there's no anguish or misery that is beyond his consolation. Paul understood this. If you do not know this verse, take your scripture sheet home and for God's sake, memorize this verse. It's 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Two verses. Look at it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. Did you hear that? The God of all comfort. In verse 4, who comforts us in some of our troubles, who comforts us in a few of our troubles, who comforts us in our lighter troubles. No, who comforts us in all, all. He could have left that out. He didn't. In all. In all, 
in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I once met a woman in the mountains of Virginia. She and her husband had been a prominent couple in this small town, prominent family. They had children. Her husband died. Twenty years later, I visited in her home. Since her husband died, since the funeral, 20 years, she had not been outside of her home. You say, John, she had to be. No. She didn't, go to the, she, she didn't go to the doctor. The doctor came to her. This lady had been mourning inconsolably for 20 years. She was saying, my pain, my sorrow is beyond comfort. God in all, his, in all of his omnipotence, he made the galaxies. He casts them out through the universe so that they're millions of light years apart. He raises the dead. He makes the blind to see. But my sorrow, God in all of his omnipotence, can do nothing about it. That is sheer arrogance. And I know what you want to say. If I were 21 years old, you could get away with saying it. Because I don't have that much experience at 21. But at 72, you can't say it to me. I know what pain is. I know what sorrow is. I know what it is. To lose loved ones. I know what it is. To face death. Sometimes it's harder to live. I know what you're saying. You want to say. But John there is some sorrow. It can't be overcome. That God cannot comfort. No, there's not. No, there's not. You say, well, he raised this widow's son. Did you just notice he didn't raise her husband? But one day he will. One day he will. Maybe you want to say when you read this, 
I had to bury a child. He didn't raise that child. He will. He will. Remember, remember what Martha said to Jesus when he was a couple of days late getting to her sick brother and her brother died. What was the first thing she said to Jesus? The very first thing. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. What did Jesus tell her? I'm the resurrection, the life. And she said, oh, I know one day he's going to be raised. And Jesus says, let's go to the tomb right now. He raised him from the dead. That's how sure. Do you understand that? That's how sure your resurrection is. That's how we go to the cemetery. This person died in Christ. And I live and die in Christ. I'll see them again. You see a Christ who seeks the unseeking. A Christ who comforts the inconsolable. And thirdly, you see a Christ who restores life to the lifeless. Look at verse 14. He went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Jesus gave him back to his mother. Every commentary, all the commentaries, all the sermons I read on this passage, major in the compassion of Jesus, that he went to name, that he touched the coffin. He, this was unclean. He touched the coffin. A great compassion that he had for the widow. I'm always amused by that. I, I've all, in this I've always been amused by that. And I went back this week and I reread those same commentaries. And I want to say to those writers, no one went home that day. No one who was present right there at that time, no one went home talking about the compassion of Jesus. They just didn't. I'm sorry. I can tell you absolutely without any shadow of a doubt, not one person went home there. Wow, did you see the compassion of Jesus today? No. The young and old, male and female, children and grandparents went home shocked, amazed. The rabbi from Nazareth had raised the man from the dead. I like to meet people. You know, I think maybe the greatest problem that we have as evangelical Christians is, just as I was talking about in this book, the gigantic nature of God. I, th I think... 
that we see, we hear the promises, and somehow they just don't make it down into our real everyday world. It's like we go to church, we hear this in Sunday school, but do we really believe it? I like people, I like to meet people who actually say, non-Christians who actually say, I don't believe the story of Jesus. I don't believe those miracles. I don't believe that Jesus could just say the word and make a blind man see. I don't believe he could say a word and make a paralyzed person walk. I don't believe he could raise the dead. At least those folks realize how huge and earth-shattering these events are. I hope over lunch today you look across at each other and say, do you realize this man was dead and they went to the cemetery, got halfway there and turned around and came home. Well, what happened to the body? What did they do with it? Oh, the body walked. I had a professor in college who used to say to me, he was an unbeliever, and he was very evangelistic in his unbelief. He used to say to me, John, I cannot understand how someone with your mind really believes these events happen. And one day I finally got my answer across. I said, the issue is not the blind person seeing or the paralyzed person walking. It's not a dead person getting up. That's not the issue. There's only one issue. Where does Luke begin his story? He began. Go back to December. He began with the incarnation. God became flesh. The issue is the deity of Christ. If he is God, if God became flesh, would you not expect the miracles? Do you really believe Jesus would meet a man that's blind and have the power to heal him and let him walk away blind? Meet a paralyzed man and let the paralyzed man be carried away unhealed. There is no chance that Jesus would meet a widow carrying her only son's body out and not raise that person from the dead. Because of compassion? No! Because he is a son of God. God incarnate. That's the only issue. One final word. Remember that last miracle? The Gentile, the Roman, the last man you would expect to be a follower of Jesus Christ in Capernaum, to be a godly man. And Jesus said, in this Gentile, I find more faith than I find have found in all of Israel. And then he says this, Matthew 8, 11. Look at it on your scripture sheet. Say, I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, people are going to come from all over the earth to follow me. Well, that miracle foreshadowed that truth. This miracle 
foreshadowed the resurrection of Jesus. This is the first man in the Gospels that he raised from the dead, the first person he raised from the dead. By the way, look at Luke 7.13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. That's the first time Luke himself uses the word Lord to speak of Jesus. Now, there's other people that he quotes that called him Lord. This is the first time in Luke that Luke calls Jesus Lord. This event shows the reality of his omnipotence and power, his reality of being the Son of God. Luke says he's Lord. When Jesus raised that boy from the dead, as they leave Nain and they're going back to Capernaum, the disciples are saying to each other, we had never seen anything like that. We saw, we've seen him make blind people see, deaf people hear. But he raised the dead. They said, Jesus, you raised, you raised a man from the dead. And Jesus may have said to them, guys, you haven't seen anything yet. One day, I'm really going to raise people from the dead. Our hymn is most appropriate as we come to the table. It is well with my soul.